Sunday morning, we're looking at this letter of 1 Peter, and we come to a single verse that we'll be studying this morning, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. By the way, I've uh, taught uh, on marriage here the last two Sundays uh, that, that I've been teaching. Pastor Ron taught last Sunday, and do not in any way, shape, or form consider that uh, to be uh, anything approaching what you will learn in love and respect. We just prime the pump a little bit on the subject of marriage. But here we have it, verse 7, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, that is your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray together. Lord, we marvel at the diversity of subject matter that you deal with in your word and the space that you give to these subjects that are so important to you and such a large section of First Peter given here in marriage. And we just acknowledge before we begin to study the role of the husband in a Christian marriage, how important this is to you, Lord, in ways that we may never understand until we see you face to face. But Lord, we want to just receive this into our hearts, not just into our minds, not just into our ears. We want to have that understanding. We want to have it affect us mentally, but Lord, we want it to go all the way into our hearts and into the daily of our lives. We want to be doers of your word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. And so we pray for that kind of a work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts individually this morning as we study your word. Be very active, we pray, as the teacher, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So this morning we continue this examination of uh, Peter's instruction to us as Christians concerning our marriages and uh, our concerning our relationship with one another as husband and as wife. And last time we studied the role uh, instruction uh, that he gave uh, concerning wives, and this morning we want to study his instruction uh, to husbands. We notice that he begins here in, uh, in the second word of verse 7 with the word likewise. And, and he's continuing to build on something that he's building all the way through uh, the letter. So this, and what he's communicating in that likewise is that this instruction concerning Christian marriage and concerning the role of the husband in a Christian marriage, it's the continuation of his instruction in chapter 2, verse 5, about how to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. People that were foolish enough to believe the lie that was being put out by Caesar Nero at the time and and was spreading throughout the Roman Empire that Christians were responsible for uh, the setting of Rome on fire and burning a large portion of it uh, to the ground. And they believed it without bothering to check out the facts. And so how in the world do you silence false accusations, and especially how do you silence false accusations when you are operating from a position of weakness? And 
Peter tells us that we do it by living a life in all the areas of our life that is so above reproach that anyone that would uh, look at our lives as Christians and then the rumor that is being spread about us as Christians, that they would look at that and, and they would not believe the lie and that to believe that lie they would think to themselves that's the position of someone who is foolish and ignorant concerning Christians and foolish and ignorant for believing it at all. And Peter had addressed how to do this in the realms of Christian uh, citizenship, uh, being a Christian employee, and here he turns for how we're to do this through our, how we conduct ourselves within marriage, to where people would look at our marriages as Christians, and they would say to themselves, I don't know what, uh, where these rumors are, what these statements are concerning Christians, and what kind of lies are being spread about them. All I know is that every Christian marriage I've ever seen is one that if that was the standard or that kind of conduct of the husband to the wife and the wife to the husband, if all of the marriages in this empire were uh, conducted in such a way, it would be a fabulous thing for the culture and for society. I want you to notice that word husband that's there. It doesn't, it doesn't say the man of the house. That when he uses the word husband, that's a title. And it's a God-given title that goes with a God-given role. And it's a title that's given to us by God. Again, we are more than the men of the house. God looks at us and he says we are husbands. Again, marriage is an institution of God. He initiated it all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. Have you ever, uh, I think, it's very interesting to me, and one of the interesting things about being a pastor, um, two particular services are, um, have their own challenges and their own fascinations, and one of them is memorial services, funeral services, and the other are wedding ceremonies, and of course they're two entirely different environments. And, uh, but sometimes you go to a wedding and you just sit there and, and as you walk into the room, here are all these people and they're dressed up pretty nice and more or less, Calvary Chapel. But I mean, they're dressed up more or less in their kind of best. And uh, here we've got flowers and there's candles and the whole everything and all. And, and you can sit in a room like that and just think, you know, this is really kind of a bizarre rite that we go through here. What in the world is all this about? Where did all this start? Why do we do all of these kind of things? And it is kind of a, a weird scene. And you can sit in a wedding ceremony as it's going on and again think to yourself, why do we do this? Uh, why do we have weddings? Why in the world do people get married? Why is there this thing called marriage at all? Uh, why is a commitment made like this? Why don't people just live together? Why is, why is this done all over the world, all through human history, this rite, this ceremony, this entering into holy matrimony? Why do we do this? And whose idea is it and where did it come from? And the Bible teaches that it is, had its origin in God. Marriage is a God-given institution. 
And not only is marriage a God-given institution, but God then defines the roles of the two people who then constitute that institution, that coming together. The role of the husband and the role of the wife. So when we marry and we take on the title of a husband, husbands, it means something. It means that we are entering into a role that has its origin in God. We take on a title that has been bestowed to us by God himself. And it's a role that God clearly defines in his word, and we are to strive to excel in that role that he's called us to and that role of being a husband. It shouldn't be, you know, I got me a wife and that that makes me a husband and, and, and no matter how selfish or insensitive I live. In God's eyes, a husband is more than just the male part of a marriage. To be a husband is a calling and it comes with a God-defined role and position that I'm to grow into and to fulfill. And let me say that no Christian husband or wife should ever stop growing in their marriage. You're being sloppy if you are, if you do that, and I exhort myself as well. Marriages have their blessings and they have their challenges. At the very beginning, on the honeymoon, in the early years, if children come, those are great years. They have challenges. Growth needs to occur in that period. But all the way through the marriage relationship until later in life, where you know one another inside out, <laughs> you know what bothers you, and what you love that makes you overlook all of that in the person. And in later on in life, where things begin to fail, things begin to falter, we begin to need one another in a way that we've never needed one another before in life. It requires that we grow in our marriages and in the role that God has called us to all the way until we go to heaven. And it's a very sad thing to watch, and I would say very, very common. I wouldn't put a percentage on it. Where people grow to a certain point, maybe in the first five years of their marriage, the first ten years of their marriage, and then they stop. And they still have 40 more years of marriage, and there is no growth in the marriage at all. And then sometimes we wonder why we're having problems after all of these years. Why are we having problems now when we endured the difficulty and the challenges and the shortages and the trials and tribulations of the early years? And so often it's because we have ceased to grow. We need to always be growing in our God-given role as a wife, if you are a wife, and as a husband, if you are a husband. No one should stop growing. And it's very, very easy, I think, for people to get fat and sassy spiritually uh, and, and very, very complacent in that role, beginning to take the marriage and the marriage partner uh, for granted. The marriage, Christian marriage, the reason there should always be growth, one of the reasons is because the Christian marriage, as we looked at last time I was here, um, it, it represents something bigger than ourselves. 
And for Karen and I, Karen, my wife, there's a responsibility in our marriage as Christians, and so it is with you. And there's that realization. We don't just represent ourselves in this marriage before our children, before our neighbors, before our other blood relatives. We are, the Bible says, we are representing the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church where people should be able to look at me in a store or any place where we are, Karen and I are together, and to be able to look at my treatment of her and say that is a living example of how Christ loves the church and to be able to look at her in any environment and her interaction with me and to, and to be able to see a living example of what it is for the ch- church, the body of Christ, to submit to that, uh, to the headship and the lordship uh, of Jesus. And so this is what we're representing, and this is what we want the whole world to see. And so it gives a, a significance to our marriage. God wants everything in our lives to communicate Christ to the world. And as I spoke before, the longer you, we walk with the Lord and the deeper we go into the Lord, the more we look for every single aspect of our life to speak to this world of the beauty of Christ and what he does in a human life. And then to pull back and go, wow, there is the potential for my marriage, not only to be a blessing to me, but for it to have an eternal impact in the world where people are noticing something supernatural about the relationship and being pointed to our God as a, a, a result. And, and so the importance uh, of this for the world to see this in, in our, our marriages and to violate the God-defined role in a marriage is to completely destroy the great beautiful spiritual picture that it's intended to communicate. And of course, none of us as serious Christians would want to do that. So let's notice uh, four things uh, from our passage this morning that it speaks to us and our roles as husbands. First, he tells us that we are to dwell with our wives according to knowledge or according to understanding. You notice in verse 7, it says, and if you've got the new King James, it says, husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding. In the old King James, it reads this, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. So one says the husband is to dwell with his wife according to knowledge, the old King James. The other one says that the husband is to dwell with his wife according to understanding. Knowledge and understanding are two entirely different things. And I don't need to be confused in my role as a husband. These basic things that I want to, I want to glom on to. I began my Christian life reading uh, the old King James. Back then, that's about what there was. There was no new King James when I became a Christian back in the 1600s. <laughs> I remember one time at Christmas, and the church had just started uh, within the first year or two, first year, I think, somebody member of the congregation gave me a new King James uh, open Bible. 
And they said, Pastor, you know how when you read the old King James and you say what this really means as you kind of uh, translate and turn around the archaic uh, words and sentence structure, uh, he said, it already says that in the new King James. Well, when you've been put down, you sit down. So I took that Bible and I've been teaching from the new King James ever since. But one of the places I don't think that the New King James improves on the Old King James is in this verse. Because the New King James tells us that as husbands we're to dwell with our wives with understanding, and I don't think that any husband can even remotely understand his wife. But we can know them, and that's the point that Peter's making. And not only can we know them, Peter teaches that we should know them. The Greek word that is used there for understanding or for knowledge is the word uh, gnosis. It's a Greek word that refers to knowledge that comes by experience. There's a Greek word that's used elsewhere that speaks of an intuitive knowledge. This would be kind of the understanding side of things. Peter doesn't use that Greek word. He uses the word uh, gnosko or a form of it that means a knowledge that comes with experience. In other words, while we may not understand our wives fully, even as Christian husbands, we can know them. And a husband can come to learn from experience concerning his wife, what she likes, what she doesn't like, what's she good at and what isn't she good at. What are her strengths and what are her weaknesses? You say, my wife doesn't have any weaknesses. We'll poke you in the eye afterwards or welcome back from your honeymoon. Everybody has weaknesses. To learn what interests her and what doesn't interest her at all. I know about Karen. Politics doesn't interest her at all. She has a 30-second threshold. So I talk like one of those commercials as fast as I can to get it all in. But she likes health and nutrition and the surgery channel, and you walk in and they've got somebody wide open and they're pulling out a tumor the size of a pumpkin and she's all excited about it. And, and I can't stand any of that kind of stuff. We, learn, we can learn what's important to her what she doesn't care about one way or another, what's super important to her, and that if we violate that or we casually disregard that, it'll do real damage to the marriage. It'll really do damage to trust and to intimacy in, in, in the marriage and to communication. We can learn how does she think, how does she process life, where does she begin in that process, What's her starting point that she then moves from? What does she love? What are her dreams? What hurts her? What frustrates her? What does she need to be protected from? And on and on and on we could go. The husband should know his wife very, very well, and it should strongly influence his actions and his decision-making in the marriage. And I want to say that if you are a Christian husband here this morning and you don't know your well wife that well, then you're just being lazy. 
God calls you to know your wife that well and to have it then affect the decision-making and affect the relationship accordingly. I think that it's very common for men because we are, can be terminally selfish to think that even in Christian marriages, to think that God has given us a wife in order for us to have a servant in some means of sexual expression. And that it's just all about me and, and I, me, my, this, and, and that. And there's no invest. She ought to learn everything about me. But no uh, reciprocal learning about her. Really deeply learning about her thinking. And about how she feels. And about what affects her. I think it's important to realize that when we do marry... In any marriage, certainly in a Christian marriage, that we are marrying a real, live, living human being who wants to love and enjoy and experience life and fulfill it every bit as much as you do. So there's no place in a Christian marriage for a one-sided marriage where one person is doing all of the investing and the other person's doing all of the taking. One person's doing all of the giving and the other person's doing all of the taking. And just the privacy of our own hearts here this morning, whether it's male or female, but I speak to men specifically this morning, if that is the marriage that we have grown used to, that is not what God has called us to. Again, he hasn't provided us with a wife in order to give us a servant and just to, you know, be the, another source of our self-actualization or our enjoyment uh, in, in life. And in my experience, husbands are the most prone to slipping into that kind of thinking in a marriage, and we really need to be uh, alert to it. One of the things that helps me stay sober is a a Christian husband is to realize that one day I will give an answer to the Lord for my treatment of Karen and for the marriage. Uh, it is ministry, it is service that's done unto him. I don't say that it's hard work. Oh, being married to her is hard work. Sometimes you hear people talk about marriage. Marriage is hard work. You say. It's kind of a poor reflection on whoever you're talking about at the moment, and she happens to be standing right next to you, or he happens to be standing right next to you. So I don't say it in that way. But it is ministry, and it is Christian service. And it does accomplish something spiritual in the world. And there is way down deep inside of me the recognition when I would like to get fat and sassy in the marriage and have it all be one-sided and become this boneheaded, bullheaded person in it. One of the things that keeps me from going there is, is the realization that I'm going to answer to God for how... Uh, closely this marriage, my role in the marriage uh, it, it, it was taken care of in, in my own life. And so this knowledge of our wives is to then affect how we view them and then also how we treat them. Notice second, we're to give honor to our wife as to the weaker vessel. We're to honor our wife 
and uh, she is to be honored. And the word honor there means honor. It means respect. It means to esteem highly. It means to treat with dignity. And the Greek word that's used there for honor in, in verse 7 is also used in verse uh, 19 of chapter 1, and there it's translated precious. And so we're to view our wives as precious, to treat them as something uh, that is valuable, something that is precious, highly valuable, uh, to treat them like a princess. It's interesting that Sarah is mentioned as we looked at the wives in verse 6 a couple of weeks ago. Excuse me. Sarah's name. Apparently, it's really hard for me to say this. Just kidding. But Sarah's name actually means princess. And uh, any wife, I think, who submits and supports her husband's God-given role in marriage the way that Sarah uh, did for Abraham should be treated as a princess. Funny thing, in the United States of America, in in my age, and I think you could ask anyone that's over the age of 50 uh, that has grown up in this country, uh, what has happened to uh, chivalry in, in our country? Uh, what has happened to respect and courtesy on the part of men toward women is in decline. And a lot of it is due to uh, television and sitcoms. I hope you don't watch them. The music is atrocious. Most of the secular music doesn't nurture love, it doesn't nurture virtue, it doesn't nurture these things, especially rap and hip-hop is terrible and how it portrays women. And then anyone, any man who could tap their toes to what that song is saying about women, something's wrong with that man. But the culture's so far gone, we don't even realize it. We don't even think about that. But the movies, the entertainments, the books, the everything in front of us is just continuing to to debase men in the minds of women and women in the minds of men. Now, that wasn't the world that I grew up in. I grew up in a different kind of world where there was tremendous respect, at least outwardly. It wasn't perfect. It was a lot way different than today, where there was tremendous respect on the part of men toward women. You would never swear in front of a woman. Never would you do it. it, You would literally, in my childhood, you would take your life into your hands if you swore to woman in publicly on the part of other men who had come to her rescue on it. Today you get shot doing it. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just saying this is where the culture has gone. But everything has changed, and it's really tragic how the views and how low the view of the opposite sex has become, and we don't even realize it. And so often if you've been inundated by the culture, you can hit the place where you start to think of marriage and you no longer think of the husband as the knight in the shining armor. The husband or the man doesn't even hope about 
finding a princess or someone that he would value or treat in that kind of way. An awful lot has been lost. It's terrible. It's terrible. God said would be the case in the last days. And so it's uh, disappearing. And, but while it's disappearing in the culture, the Christian marriage should still communicate to those who are younger and unmarried that such a thing still exists. And I know that's one of the things that's important to me. And I know it's important to Karen. Think about how many people in the younger generation want to write off marriage because of the marriages that they were exposed to by their parents growing up, or the divorces, or the what, or the this, or the that, or the what. And for us as Christians to just stop and say, I want to continue to grow in this marriage because I want young people to look at a marriage and see that it can be successful and to see that it can be a blessing and it can be something beautiful and you can hope for a knight in shining armor and you can hope for a princess and there can be happy endings related to all of this. And so the darker the culture gets, the more our marriages can stand out in the world to where people will then look all the nations of the world and say, while this institution of marriage is in a free fall everywhere, you look to Christians and then to see something entirely different. And the more that it becomes the other thing in the world, uh, the more powerful and the more valuable it is that we not be conformed by the culture but that we live according to God's standard related to making our marriage uh, what it should be. I always like to see a man open a door for a woman, whether the car or the house or going into a store or something like that, to allow her to go first. There's a lot of nonverbal ways that husbands can communicate to their wives that they're special, and it's a good thing to do. Whatever your whether is a husband, there should be one, two, three things that are nonverbal. The verbal is great, do it. But nonverbal, that this is what my husband does, and it makes me feel like a princess. It makes me feel special when he does this. And to identify those things and to do it. The other day I was going into uh, Mimi's Cafe to have a Bronto burger and, uh, with bacon just kidding. Uh, but I was going out to breakfast with my youngest daughter and, and my grandkids. And uh, so I opened up the door for my daughter to go in and my granddaughter to go in. And then there was a couple of ladies that were walking uh, immediately behind us. And I turned and saw them, held the door open for them. Harrison, my grandson, slipped over to my side, wouldn't go in before the ladies. Let him go in first. I said, all right, that's a well-raised kid. I don't know if the ladies notice that, but that's something to notice. That's a good thing. So there should be something like that. And that, this kind of chivalry in the ancient world was almost unknown. I mean, we're talking about in Bible times, we're talking about men who would ride on the donkey and the women would walk alongside it. Or the men would walk, and you see it even in our own neighborhoods here in Modesto where another culture has come into the neighborhood. I'm not degrading necessarily the culture, though I degrade the practice. Where some, you see a husband and a wife are out for a walk. He's walking 50 feet in front of her. She's walking behind him. 
Because in that culture, they're not equals that way. He does not walk with her. She does not walk with him. And, and so this is the kind of thing in the ancient world. So often the wife was, would walk behind uh, the, the husband. And it was Christianity that introduced respect and courtesy on the part of the husband into the marriage relationship. And, it need, and we need it in this world today that we're in as much as it was needed in the time of the Roman Empire. Now giving honor also means that the husband will respect his wife's feelings, her perspectives, her desires, uh, and make them a part of his decision-making. Even if the husband decides to make a decision following discussion, maybe even long discussion, multiple discussions over an issue where the husband and the wife differ on what direction to go in, and he decides that he must make a different decision than he knows that she wants to make. But it's still always made with great respect for her perspective and her view uh, related to the issue and that great weight is given to her perspective. And that goes a long way and it's the way, one of the things about treating her with honor. Notice that we're to give honor to our wives as to the weaker vessel. And very often in the New Testament, the word vessel, it speaks of the human body, the physical body. And so Peter isn't saying that a woman is weaker morally or intellectually or spiritually, but she is generally weaker physically. Uh, not all the time. There are women that I've seen that I wouldn't want to arm wrestle. Not in my current condition. Decrepit as it is. So there are exceptions, but... It, it, as, a, as a rule, in the average marriage, the husband could easily overpower his wife physically. And so we have the phrase today, we speak of women today, I thought it's probably 50 years out of vogue, but spoken, women are spoken of as the weaker sex. You've, you can fight that all you want, but that's the way that it is. Weaker physically. And so... Men and women are generally much more powerful in physical strength and endurance than women. And so when a woman enters into a marriage relationship with a man, she experiences a sense of physical vulnerability in that marriage that never enters the man's mind, that he does not experience because he is the stronger physically in the marriage. So it doesn't even enter into his thinking, into his processing, but it enters into God's thinking and God's instruction. And so she senses, she has a sense of physical vulnerability in that marriage and, and that realization that this guy is bigger and stronger than I am, and thus a husband should never ever use his physical strength in a way that would intimidate her that would produce a fear in her. No wife should ever fear physical harm at the hands of her husband, that he would do that to her. She should never be physically abused by her husband. She should never be struck. She should never be pushed. She should never be made to fear. She should never flinch in our presence ever. 
No wife should ever be bullied or intimidated by her husband. Where there is, a, where because of his greater physical strength, he thinks that he can say whatever he wants, he can demean her, he can tear her down, he can yell, he can argue, and then walk out of the room and slam the door and know she can't do anything about it because he's bigger and he's stronger and he's the big bull in the marriage. Again, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, we are to only use our greater physical strength to nourish and to cherish and to protect her. She, it should never enter into her mind, for us as Christian husbands, that we would ever use our physical strength in any other way than to nourish and to cherish and to protect her. She should never fear any other use, as I say, of our greater physical strength, that our greater strength will only be used for her good, just the way that Christ uses his greater strength for our good. There's something terribly wrong when a man abuses a woman in this way at any time, and it certainly has no place in a Christian marriage. And if that's something that's going on in your marriage or in your home or you're, get, you're approaching lines where control is being lost, come in and meet with one of the pastors. It's all free. Come in and get some counseling and begin to identify what are the problems here. Everything can be solved in the power of the Holy Spirit and the instruction of God's Word. But nobody ever wants to go to that place. Terrible, terrible damage is done, not only to the marriage, but to the reputation of Christ and certainly to any children that are watching all of that. Third, we're to remember that she is an equal heir with us, Peter said, of the grace of God. In other words, we're to remember that our wives are our equal spiritually. And uh, Again, our higher position as husbands in terms of authority in the marriage, her submission to our authority does not make her inferior to man and certainly not spiritually. The husband and the wife share the same God. We share the same creator in a Christian marriage. We share the same Savior. We share the same salvation. And if she's a Christian, she enjoys the same standing before God if she shares equally in the gift of everlasting life as the husband does. Jesus died for her as much as she died uh, for him. Jesus loves her as much as he loves uh, him. And I think it's helpful to remember in our treatment of our wives that she is a daughter of God. If you ever want to get a father's uh, attention in a bad way, just mistreat one of his daughters. You can hardly do anything worse than to treat, other than treat his bride wrong. It's to mistreat one of his daughters. And in a Christian marriage, it's good for us to remember as Christian husbands that we are married to a daughter uh, of the Lord. 
And again, that's something that I remind myself of continually in my treatment of my wife, Karen. I am conscious of the fact that her heavenly Father loves her, cares about her, wants to bless her, wants her to have the greatest life a person can live this side of heaven, and that I am married to one of his daughters. And it does a good thing in me, and I think it does a good thing in any husband. Now, fourth, he tells us that a failure to treat our wives in this way will will result in our prayers being hindered. We think, well, all right. Oh, let's see, my prayers, okay, I can do this over here. And then over here, it means my prayers will be hindered. Hmm. Decisions. Decisions. Sometimes it's the idea that we think like hindered is like mildly hindered. All right, my relationship with God will be like mildly affected, but God will get over it. But the word hindered there, it literally means to cut down. And it's speaking of a fruit tree to where you cut off a branch from a fruit tree and now all that entire branch and all of the fruit that is on it are completely cut off from its source of life. It'll die if it's not reintroduced back into that relationship. And that's what God is saying will happen to a Christian husband if he does not heed this instruction, violates this instruction related to his wife. The relationship gets cut off, damaged in a, in a, in a tremendous and uh, severe way. Our relationship with the Lord is affected if we fail to treat our wives in that way. Our relationship with the Lord will be rendered fruitless because, again, it's been cut off from the source of everything. And so, it, it's very, very true. If you've had any experience with this at all, been less than perfect as a husband and uh, had some kind of a disagreement with your wife and uh, you mistreated her in some way and sensitive to her in some way and then you go into the other room and you try, and you pr- try to pray to the Lord. Try to just commune with God, your relationship with Him. The only prayer that gets through at that moment is a prayer of confession of sin and repentance, followed by going back out into the kitchen and asking for her forgiveness following a confession of sin in order to make the relationship right. Otherwise, what happens in that other room is I'm praying with myself. That prayer just goes bouncing around on the wall, like uh, the walls of that room, like the old Pong game never gets out. Or here's a good way to find out how your relationship with God can be, how serious God is about uh, hindering our prayers related to this. Have an argument with your wife where you're in the wrong and, and violate what God has called us to do here and then realize, okay, then I'm not going to pray for a while. And then dinner comes. Everybody around the table knows that dad prays for dinner. And so here you are, you realize, now I've got to pray in this condition. I'm out of sorts with her. Everybody knows that this thing is a mess, and now I've got to talk to God. If you've ever been in that place, how fun was that prayer? That's the most halting, uncomfortable, 
unflowing, most difficult prayer you can ever listen to is at that table. Why? Because God is going to hinder the prayer and the relationship. No Christian who has any kind of living relationship with God can pray to God freely and confidently when he knows that his, he's not treating his wife as he should. And we know that our fellowship with God has been affected by it. We can sense that his displeasure by the fact that he has ceased to be involved in our communication with him, that sense that we are praying alone. And the Christian man who is where he should be in his relationship with the Lord, for that kind of a Christian man, we realize that is not a sustainable condition. And so everything else can go sideways in our life, but we cannot have our relationship with God go sideways. And so we realize, all right, I've got to fix this. And what it does is God has to bring something to play in this situation that is bigger than our pride. And he assumes that our relationship with God is more important to us than our pride. And so the willingness to say, all right, I will put my pride down in order to reconnect an intimate relationship with you, Lord, and I'll do that by beginning, beginning to make this relationship with my wife right. And so it provides a great, great motivation for us uh, in our uh, marriages. So, if you have a disagreement with your wife and you mishandle it, your fellowship with God gets adversely affected, and when that happens, you know that you are wrong somewhere, no matter how much you try and convince yourself of it. Our relationship with God is absolutely affected by our treatment of our wife. You ever had the thing where it's like, okay, she is so wrong, and I am so right, and she's thinking the same thing, but we're not talking about her this morning. And you go in to start to pray to the Lord, and you're just you're going to convince him. And then, Lord, I said, and then she said, and then I said, and anyone in their right mind could understand that. And then she said, and then I said, and of course I got upset when she said that. And you try and build this whole case with the Lord. And you get, I mean, you, it can be 90 seconds. It can be 45 minutes, and the Lord just... I'm not saying that he does that. And you get done with the whole explanation and the justification and the blah, blah, blah and all, and you get done, and you still have this deep abiding sense that no matter how much I've tried to convince God that I'm wrong in this thing somehow. All right. So where did I mess up? And then he tells us, and then we make it right. That I tell you, the, this hindering of prayers is a form of God's discipline, and it teaches us as we look at men, and sometimes the wife and says, look at the husband, he has the authority and this and all and everything and, and all. But with that God-given authority, there comes great responsibility before God, not just one day, but when we stand before him.
but in the daily of our relationship with him. God will not bless the spiritual life or the spiritual ministry of a Christian husband who mistreats his wife. And so, that is the God's instruction to Christian husbands and two weeks ago to wives for what he wants the world to see when they observe a Christian marriage. And though the world may look at it and the world just thinks that it's so much smarter than God and it is collapsing before our very eyes. Isn't it amazing? The whole world is on fire. It's on fire. It's in a free fall. And, and yet, no repentance, no revival, no widespread return to God. So whatever the world thinks... And one of the great things about the insanity of the world that we live in right now, and you see the consequences of rejecting God's ways and all this kind of stuff, and you, and, and, and you look at it, is to walk away from it and realize, only God knows what he's talking about in this world. And I don't care what people think they're smarter than God in all the ways they think they're smarter than God. Everywhere you violate what God says on an individual basis or on a national or international basis. There's going to be big problems there, and we see that. You see, you see how in the last 50 years in the United States of America, marriage has been redefined. The roles in marriage has been defined, redefined. For those of you who have been alive that long, is marriage better then or now in, in terms of as a whole within the culture? It's in a lot, better, a lot worse shape today. And so people look and say, oh, well, this whole submission thing, how archaic and all that kind of thing. God says, listen, I'm the creator. I created women. I created men. I know how men work. And you, you, you can bring in all your other definitions that you want to bring in and try and work against it. But you are, you are either going to destroy that marriage or you are going to have a man who will never become what he's supposed to be in that marriage and you'll never figure it out, figure out the fact that it's because you won't submit to him. You'll think it's a thousand other things. And the same thing in speaking to the men in terms of treating women in this kind of a special way. So it all sounds so archaic, so fairy taleish. It's just like it's gone. The world's moved on from all of this. No, it hasn't. The casualties are all around. And if the Lord tarries, one day it'll, it will so go into a black hole and become such a mess, it will have to rebound back out to God's way in order for mankind to even survive. You cannot fight God's instruction related to marriage and win if this instruction is intended for the blessing of both the husband and the wife, and it's how marriage is intended uh, to be. And the degree to which we reject it, again, whether individually or nationally, uh, is the degree to which we miss all of the blessings that it is, uh, it is supposed to be. You see all of the needless divorces that go on, and, and not only that, but the general unhappiness of, of men and women in marriages. They're just enduring them and, until now. Today you have so many people rejecting marriage altogether and just saying, we'll just shack up together, live together, and that produces all of its own problems. Jesus said wisdom is justified by her children. He said, wisdom earns the right to be called wisdom on the basis of the kind 
of person that it produces. And you look at the kind of marriage that God's instruction produces versus any other instruction, and there is no comparison to his wisdom. I read an article a little while ago, and it was talking about baby boomers who are getting older now, and uh, some of them are getting their first Social Security checks in terms of that age. But they're heading into that retirement age, and this is a secular magazine. And it was talking about one of the great regrets of the baby boomer age, that, that age person, is that they are heading into their retirement and last part of their life alone. And they don't like it. They lived through the sexual revolution. One woman after another, after another, after another. One man after another, after another, after another. One marriage after another, after another, after another, after another. And then now they find themselves at a point in time in life when God would have, barring the death of a spouse or something like that, or singleness, but where God would have two people head into that period of life where we need one another like we've never needed each other before, heading into that part of life and phase in life without any kind of meaningful relationship or meaningful history with a husband or with a wife. And the regret the article brought out related to all of that. God knows how valuable marriage is, and he knows what he's talking about related to this subject. Let me close with one other illustration, a scenario that has been played out, and I know I'm a little long here on this, but I know the subject fascinates all of you. This is a scenario that's been played out before my eyes and my ears countless times in 26 years of pastoring here in Modesto, and it would be true of any pastor you would ever want to talk with. Husband and wife comes into the office. The marriage is a shambles. I mean, it, and both of them claim to be Christian, and it is a million miles away from anything like what the Bible says a Christian marriage should be. And they begin, and they begin to lay out what the marriage is like, and he does this, and she does this, and does she do this? Yeah, and does he? Oh, yeah. I mean, everything's true. That's been the whole thing. That's all being laid out. And I look at, and I'm listening to what they're saying, and I'm thinking to myself, I am so glad I don't go home to that every night. It is truly a mess. And as they're laying out all of this, there is in their mind this idea that their marriage is just hopelessly complex. The problems are so great that it's probably going to take weeks and months of counseling before we ever identify what the true cause of the problems are and deal with this and all of that. In their mind, it's just this incredibly complicated thing because they're terribly complicated people. And so I listen, and I'm a good listener. And I listen, and I listen, and I listen, and they get done saying everything that they're saying. And then I, what I realize is everything that they have spoken about, it's all symptoms, and none of it addresses the cause of why their marriage is in the condition that it's in. He does not love his wife as Christ loves the church. And God gave him only one command. This isn't algebra. This isn't science. This isn't brain surgery. He gave us one command. And he's not even obeying the one. And she's been just given one command, and she's not obeying that 
related to submitting unto him as unto the Lord. And so here they are, they come in, all right, we're going to get a divorce and we're going to file for divorce next week. Before we do that, let's go and see the pastor because maybe he'll look at this thing and say, it is such a mess that there's an exception for you and yes, you ought to divorce yourselves because these are unsolvable problems and then we don't have to deal with any guilt over divorcing one another. And then I'll say to them, I say, you are about to end a marriage that God has never been given a chance to work in. And if you do that, you will have to live with that fact. A week later, a year later, five years later, 25 years later, you will look back on this day if you do what you're about to do, and you will realize that marriage never needed to end the way that it ended. I never gave God my obedience to work with in that marriage to see what kind of a beautiful thing he would create out of it. And I said, you won't want to live with that. And by the way, you can't do it. You don't have biblical grounds. <laughs> because God wants them to obey and to turn it around. So you come into this room and you think you've got marriage problems. That's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is you have a lordship problem. You have never settled the issue of Jesus' lordship in your life yet, because if you did, it would be manifested first in your marriage. And that's what you need to settle today. And then the symptoms will begin to fall into place properly everywhere in life, including the marriage. She says, well, I'll start to submit to him as soon as he starts to love me as Christ loves the church. Everyone knows the other person's role. I'll start to love her if she ever starts to submit to me as Christ loves the church. We all know everybody else's verses. God just looks at it and he just says, would somebody please give me their obedience to work with in this marriage and watch what I do with it. And there's no guarantee that the guy isn't so thick-headed that a miracle will happen in 48 hours or related to the gal too. So you say, what's the upside in it? The most valuable thing in life to a Christian, and that is even though I am in a marriage where I am giving God my obedience to work within this situation and he or she is not, that I know that I am right with God. And I have a beautiful relationship with him, and I can't wait to see him face to face. And that is its own richness. That's its own treasure. And I say all of this to say to you that if you're here today, and I don't need, perhaps I do need to say, tell you, the divorce rate within professing Christianity in the United States of America is equally as high as the world. Now, but, I mean, that's... We should all just cry. He is not being taken 
seriously here. And if you take, and you're in a place here today where you look at your situation and you say, well, we've got all these marriage problems and this and that. And all. I, I give that last illustration to give you hope to just begin to obey the Lord, settle the issue of his lordship in your life, and then watch what he will do in the marriage. And it's not just your reputation that's at stake. As Christians, the Lord's reputation is at stake as well. And of course, we have a great concern for his reputation in this world. Not enough due to our shame how casually Christian marriages are just like that. But we should have a concern for his reputation. But there's always hope because I can come back to the marriage, begin to obey God in the power of the Holy Spirit, and then now be able to say, God, all right. We've seen what we, the two of us, could do in a marriage. Now we want to see what you would do in the same marriage. And that's all the chance that he's asking for. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father, thank you so much for this priceless instruction. And Lord, we acknowledge it to be different from everything else in the world in that this has come from the Creator. You really do know us like no one else knows us and like we don't even know ourselves. And we thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that you have given us that is greater than ourselves, wisdom that will work, Lord, and be a blessing in our lives. And we thank you for this wisdom in this area that is most important to us after our own personal relationship with you. And that is our relationship with our husband and with our wife. And we pray, Lord, that you would just take this that we've spoken about today, all these different things, and just use it to strengthen marriages and to rescue marriages. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You say, where do things begin for me? If you stand here today and you're not a Christian, here's what God wants from you. He wants you to give your life to him. And there are going to be men and women up in front immediately after our service. They're going to have a badge on that says prayer so you can identify them easily. And they'd love to pray with you to put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins today. Have the Holy Spirit come into your life and make you into something entirely different. Happens in an instant in time. And then to begin a personal relationship with God that then wonderfully affects every other relationship in your life. You were made not only if you are married to live in this kind of a way in marriage, but the intention and the idea is that you would be in relationship with God in order to do this. And you can only do this fully in relationship with God. Begin the relationship with God today. If you need prayer for anything this morning, the men and women up here and, and the pastors would love to pray with you uh, for those things this morning as well. Sunday nights we go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, currently in the book of Nehemiah, wonderful book. We'll be studying it tonight at 6 o'clock and each of you are invited.